If you're a guest with us, typically on a Sunday morning, we've been in a series that is called Expectancy, and we're really taking our time and going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, and we began it actually last Easter and have continued through that, just taking our time and allowing the words of Christ to impact and to challenge and stretch our hearts and our lives. Well, this morning, I'd like to pause that uh, series just for this morning and, and look at a different passage, and then we'll come back to it next week. So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there with me. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20, beginning in verse number 24. John chapter 20, beginning in verse number 24. And as you turn there, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had someone call you a name that has stuck? I mean, not just your birth name. I think that's obvious. But how many of you had someone call you a name that has stuck? Perhaps a nickname. Anybody ever had that happen? I've had that happen a few times with a last name like Silliman. You can imagine the different variations of nicknames that I've had over the years, whether it be in high school or on sports teams or in the military. Silliman, there's a lot of different plays and variations that individuals can do. But I'd imagine some here have had nicknames that have been given to you and that have stuck based on either a play on your name or even perhaps off of something that you've done, a nickname that has been given to you. This morning, I wanted to look at an individual in Scripture that Um, often has a nickname, and it's a nickname that's not given to him in Scripture itself, in the Bible itself, but it's a nickname that uh, really I believe many years after individuals remember this individual with. And so let's look at this together in John chapter 20, beginning in verse number 24. It says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. This is after the resurrection, and Jesus has appeared to his disciples And Thomas was not with them. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where his nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were with them in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. If, you're, if you've grown up in church, I've been around church. My parents were uh, missionaries, and so we were in church constantly, whether it be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any special event, special speaker. If I looked for a reason and had an excuse to not go to church, my parents always found one. If I told them my head hurts, I said, then you can go to church and be prayed for. We were constantly, we were constantly at church. And in being at church, sitting in Sunday school, as in my kids' classrooms, or even in what we would call super church or kids' church and the kids' service that takes place with the adult service, whenever we would talk about this disciple Thomas, he always had a nickname that was given to him. Does anybody remember it? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. That is quite the name to be remembered by, by all of history. Would you agree? Doubting Thomas. In fact, when you read the story, he doubted for about a week. He struggled with it, and he struggled with it because he heard everybody else talking about Jesus, but he hadn't yet seen him, and so he was struggling with doubt. Now, if you study, if you look at church history, if you were to do a little bit of searching and and find a little bit of the history on the different disciples on that day, specifically the 12, you'll find that Thomas was anyone, anything but a man of doubt and anything but a man, he was a strong man of faith. 
In fact, history tells us that Thomas went on from this moment and from the upper room when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the disciples began to go out and to share the gospel. History tells us that Thomas was a man of great faith and a man of great boldness, that he took the gospel to regions where the gospel had never been brought, and he took it into many different lands and different countries, and specifically into India. He was the first one to bring the gospel into India, that Thomas was a man of great faith. In fact, so much so that he demonstrated such love love and passion and faith in Jesus Christ that there came a day where four soldiers were so sick of hearing the gospel from him that history tells us that they took spears. Each four of the soldiers took spears and they ran him through. That doesn't sound like a man of of doubt. It sounds like a man of great faith. Yet because of this one moment for Thomas where he has, he has questions mixed with fear. Remember, they're hiding in fear for their lives, thinking that perhaps they could still be next when it comes to being crucified for following Jesus. And he's hiding with his, with his friends, and others are talking about seeing Jesus, and he's wrestling with doubts, like, well, how, why haven't I seen him? I hear about this, but I haven't seen him. And my faith is just as strong as the others. And then Jesus comes and walks through the wall in that moment. And you have this moment where Thomas has a few days where it's, it's fear mixed with confusion, mixed with the emotions of the last few days. And we've come to know him as a man of doubt for the rest of really his life and for most of our lives. We think of Thomas as a man of doubt. And I think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning, and each one of us, we're here celebrating the life of Christ, and we're looking at this, this disciple who God used in a powerful way in many ways through history, but we know him as a man of doubt, Doubting Thomas. And I would imagine that for a room this size with this many people, that it's fair to say that we are all at some point in our life a little bit more like Thomas than we may realize when it comes to wrestling with doubt and overcoming doubt and dealing with doubt. In fact, I think for those of us here this morning, there's three different types of doubt, at least three different types of doubt that you may deal with or wrestle with. The first one is perhaps you're here this morning and you're not like Thomas at all. You're not doubting with, when it comes to your faith in Christ, but you're having a doubt about something. But perhaps you're here this morning and, and your doubt is anchored in the fact that Jesus really is who he said he is. That for you, the, the resurrection and the, the Easter celebration over the weekend is really just, it's a holiday, it's a celebration, it's something you do with family. Perhaps you're here because you're here with family or friends, but it's really not rooted in, in, in faith and relationship in Jesus Christ. So you're, you have doubt in the reality of who Jesus is or who he says he is or, or the application of, of his life into your life. Or perhaps you're here this morning and maybe your doubt is a little bit more like Thomas that you believe in, in Jesus Christ, you believe in his resurrection from the dead and his victory over sin, and you've placed your faith with him. But, but like Thomas in the story, you hear others talking about their encounters with Jesus and their experiences with Jesus, how he's brought freedom and change and hope and life and transformation. And those stories that you hear other people talk about and even the joy and the hope that, and the freedom they seem to have in their, in their voice and in their eyes when they talk about their relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that just seems so different than your experience. So perhaps your doubts are not in the fact of Jesus is who he says he is, but it's doubting in, in just the experience that you're seeing others have. Or perhaps a third type of doubt you could even be dealing with this morning is you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and 
You believe in his victory over sin and you be, you've placed your faith in him and you've seen the results of that. You've seen him working in your life, but there's a specific struggle. There's a cycle and a struggle that you'll deal with in life. And it could be a very private, shameful struggle that you're dealing with, or it could be something as simple as, as fear and anxiety. And when I say simple, not in that it's a simple struggle, but rather something that sometimes we say is so small, but it controls so much of our lives. And your doubt is, will there ever be a future past this point? Will there ever be a future with me in my life where I won't be experiencing this or the struggle will be over and the life of Christ will be fully applied into my life? And so perhaps you're here this morning and we're celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ from the dead and the new life that we have in him. But in the midst of that, just like Thomas, you're, you're dealing with perhaps some doubts. And so this morning for all of us, whether you're dealing with doubts, any of those doubts or different doubts or or something completely different. Uh, I'd just love to share with you four things, as I've reflected over the resurrection of Jesus Christ, four things about it that, that just to remind you of, that we can find really, I believe, in our own lives, just application, but four things about the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. The first thing I'd remind you of is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a promise, that it's a promise. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a promise. See, when we talk about, when we talk in the Bible, we look at the, the first four books in the Bible, in the New Testament rather, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we often will call them the Gospels. The Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke. The word gospel is a word that we'll use that's in Scripture, but it simply means good news. The Gospel is good news. That is good news. And what makes news good? When it's carrying something that's impacting isn't that right? Good news is good when it's impacting your life. And so we talk about the gospel is good news, but the Bible also goes on to tell us that the gospel is good news, and it's good news because it, it, it has a promise of hope and life and freedom and joy. It tells of a, a story of salvation from sin, that freedom from all sin in our lives, and that we can be free through Jesus Christ. But the Bible goes on to tell us in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verses 2 through 4, it talks about the gospel. It's, it's describing the gospel that I'm sharing with you now, but it describes the gospel as a promise from God. Look at this, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number uh, 2. It says, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. But it says the gospel is a promise, that it's a promise. It's a promise that God gives to us. It's a promise that God gives to you. And it goes on to tell us, it's very connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it, it validates everything he said about him, that it proves that he's the son of God. And we'll look at that more in just a moment. But right now, just think about it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is really the fulfillment of a promise of God to you. And it's not just something that we experience in the past, that we gather together and we continue to, to celebrate past moments and, and past memories and past things. And sometimes in our own lives, we'll go through life and we think about that. We'll think about if we reach times like today, a celebration, if, if you're gathering with family or friends afterwards, or perhaps at Christmas time, you'll gather with family and friends and Sometimes in those celebrations, we'll think backwards, we'll celebrate. Do you remember when so-and-so was here? Do you remember when we could do this? Do you remember when we could do that? And there's a remembrance into it. And there is a remembrance in the promises of God when it comes to the resurrection, but it's not just a past thing that we talk about. 
The resurrection and the promise of God to us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that it has impact into your life right now. That it applies into your life right now. That it's God's promise to you right now and in this moment. That it's a promise that he, that he is for your freedom. It's a promise that he is for his life in you. That he, it's a promise that he is for the peace and the joy that he wants you to experience in this life. See, when we talk about faith in Jesus Christ and, the, and ultimately when we pass from this life into the next and into eternity and we think about eternal life and faith in Jesus Christ, that, that we think about the promises of God in that regard, that we have faith in Jesus Christ for the future. But faith in Jesus Christ is not meant to merely be fire insurance to protect us from an eternity without God. Faith in Jesus Christ is meant to be impacting in your present life right now. That's God's promise to you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a promise to you. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 13 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Speaking of what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead, the promises of God, it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What it tells us is that he has rescued us from the dominion or from the bondage, from being held captive, from being owned by anything other than a life that's committed to Jesus Christ. And it says that his promise is that we are rescued from a dominion of darkness, from bondage of darkness, and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, it's a promise to you, it's a promise to your life of God's faithfulness to see his freedom through in your life. The resurrection is God's promise to you. When we think of the empty tomb, we should think about the fact that it's a reminder that God has made a promise that he kept through Jesus Christ. Secondly, not with the gospel, when it comes to, when it comes to the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only is it a promise, but secondly, it's proof. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof. We saw it in Romans chapter 1 just a moment ago. It said that it, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gospel's fulfillment, that when Jesus was rose from the dead, rose from the dead, that it, it, was, it validated, identified that he is the Son of God. That it's proof that Jesus is who he says he is. But I want you to realize something else. Not only is the gospel proof that Jesus was who he said he is, but it's also proof that Jesus keeps his word. Have you ever thought about that? It's proof that he keeps his word. If you've taken time this past week to read over the, the resurrection story, the crucifixion and the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you come to the, the, the point in the story in all of the gospels, if you come to the point in the story where the disciples arrive at the tomb and they come and there's angels there at the tomb, uh, some have one, some have two, but there's angels at the tomb, um, there's a reoccurring theme that happens in all of the Gospels. Look at this with me. Let's look at these. When it comes to the, the Gospels proof, look at the, begin, the first one in Matthew. In Matthew 20, 28, 6, it says, this is the angel talking to the disciples. It says, he is not here. He is risen just as he said. You see that? Just as he said. When you say, just as I said, you're pointing back to something you've already said, something you've already done, something you've already, you've already declared. Let's look at the next one. Look in, in Mark chapter 16. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Are you seeing a reoccurring theme? The proof that Jesus kept his word. Look, let's look at one more. In Luke 24, he's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. Do you see the re- reoccurring theme? That Jesus keeps his word. And the resurrection is proof that Jesus keeps his word. 
If you look in John, you'll find that there's, a, in the Gospel of John, there's a time where Jesus comes and he's, it's after the resurrection and he's walking along with a couple of the disciples on the road and drawn to, they're headed to a destination called Emmaus, a city called Emmaus. And as he's walking with them, they don't recognize it's him. And he begins to talk with them and he begins to share with them everything that took place and, and helps them understand the scriptures and how it applies to his death and his resurrection. But there's a little phrase that, that John uses that says he opened their minds. He opened the scriptures to them. And that, that word opened means not only is it insight and, and understanding, but it also speaks to rem- bringing to remembrance. That is proof that Jesus keeps his word, that he keeps his word. And then I think it's also proof when I look at those verses, not only is the resurrection proof that Jesus keeps his word, I think it's also proof of our forgetfulness, or at least his disciples' forgetfulness. If in all three of the gospel accounts that, that speak of those angels at the tomb, in all three, the angel had to, say, had to come to them and say, well, he's risen. And I think the angel kind of threw it in there, just as he said, how did you forget? How did you forget? Kind of a reminder. A reminder. Jesus keeps his word. You can trust him in this. As we've been looking through Matthew, or rather Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, we, one of the things we've looked at in recent days, in recent Sundays rather, is there's at least three different times where Jesus has explained very clearly in black and white uh, to his disciples his coming death and resurrection, his coming death on the cross, and he explains it to them. And then it's almost as if they, they, he explains it to them, and then they're so quickly into another conversation that they just totally forget. And then it's a reminder that we have a tendency to forget, but regardless of how much we forget, Jesus constantly, he, he always keeps his word. It's proof. The resurrection is proof that he keeps his word. Now, something I've found in my life is that the longer between something is said, and when it happens, I have a tendency in that span of time to forget. Anybody else like that? Anybody else like that? That you'll find that from time to time, the longer that it happens between when something is said and something is done, that we will forget. But it's a reminder that it doesn't matter how much time passes between what Jesus has said and the time comes for it to take place. He is committed to bringing the truth of his word to pass in your life. That means for every parent here with the promises that you believe God has spoken over your family and spoken over your children, you may see your children going a complete different direction. You may wrestle with understanding what's happening. Be reminded this morning that God is a God who keeps his word. The resurrection is a reminder that God keeps his word. And that goes to all, walk, all places of life and where you may find yourself this morning. God is a God who keeps his word. The resurrection is proof of that. I was talking with someone the other day, and we were just talking about the words of Jesus and how they could trust him and and things. And, And I told them, I said, when it comes to Jesus, we either have to choose to trust everything that he said or none of it. Think about that. We either have to choose to trust everything that Jesus has said or none of it. Because if we, if we try to find somewhere in the middle, then we're, we're ultimately putting ourselves in the position of authority to decide what he said was right, what he said was wrong. So we, either, we have to choose. Do we accept all of what Jesus said or none of it? And when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a reminder that it, it's proof, rather, that he keeps his word. And thinking back to the first point, that it's a promise, what good is a promise if someone who tells you it doesn't, isn't someone who follows through? 
Jesus is one who keeps his word, and the resurrection is proof of that. That means that for your family, for your life, for your struggle, for wherever you find yourself today, that whether it's three days, three months, or three years, or three decades, he always keeps his word. And the resurrection is proof of that, that he keeps his word to you. I think the third thing I'd remind you of when it comes to the resurrection this morning, as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that we have in him, not only is it a promise, not only is it proof, but, but thirdly, I believe that it's powerful. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful. As you read through the story, the, the Easter story, the different gospels have different accounts of just different details that stood out to those writers. Not contradiction, but just the perception they had in those moments. But in Matthew's account, he tells of the, a great earthquake, and Matthew says a violent earthquake. The mean, the, what he's talking about is just this massive shaking of everything around. I grew up in Alaska, and growing up in Alaska, we didn't have tornadoes. We really didn't have, we didn't have all these massive, uh, you know, things that have just come. To, and really, the, the natural disasters came from underneath. It was earthquakes. It earthquakes. And sometimes I can remember waking up in the night, and you'd have earthquakes, and, and 10 seconds would feel like 30 minutes. I mean, it just, how, however big or small that they were. Remember one time I was I was at uh, at our playground in the middle in elementary school and I was up on the very top of a, a climbing tower that of course I was in grade school so it felt like I was I was stories off the ground I may have been like five feet off the ground I don't know but I felt like I was so high up in the air and we had this earthquake and I'm holding on to dear life just oh my goodness feeling like this thing's just going to fall over some of them were fast some of them were long but. But earthquakes. And the Bible tells us that it, when the resurrection of Jesus Christ took place, that there was a violent earthquake. Tells us that in the moment when at the tomb, that in the earthquake, the, the stone was rolled away and the guards that were standing there became terrified, not so much because of the earthquake, but because these angelic visitors came down and were there at the tomb. And, and the way that they're described as is that it says they are so bright, it's like looking at a flash of lightning. So we have all of this taking place, really all of this, this power that's unfolding in that moment and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as he comes out of the tomb. But when I tell you that the resurrection is powerful, that's, I'm not talking about any of those details. See, those are significant. Those are significant demonstrations of power, of physical, natural power that can be seen. But did you realize the Bible tells us that there was a much greater power demonstration being, that took place between in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear it in Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 15. This is talking about what Jesus has done on the cross. It's talking about his victory over sin and his resurrection from the dead. And it says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. It says, Jesus, in his power display, that it wasn't a matter of the ground merely shaking or angels coming down. The power that Jesus demonstrated in that moment is it says that as, as in his death and his resurrection, that he made a public spectacle of anything that would try to lay claim to your life in the future. That means that any sin, any addiction, any failure, any label that someone would try to lay on you, that Jesus exposed it. And he said, this has no power over those who have their faith in me. That through Jesus Christ, it's a demonstration of power. It's a demonstration of his power. There might be individuals here this morning, and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. 
that you've declared faith in Jesus Christ, but you still find yourself struggling with a sin, looking for victory, I would remind you this morning that that thing that seems to claim you and own you has no victory through Jesus Christ. That the Bible tells us that Jesus has made a public spectacle of that very thing that lays ownership to you. You may at times feel the effect of sin and the pull of sin, but its control and its dominion over your life has been broken through the power of Jesus Christ. As you look in your life and you're reminded in the gospel through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's a reminder that it's a living reality, rather, that all sin has been dealt with. I had the the opportunity to talk with an individual recently who was just trying to figure out about their faith in Christ and place their faith in him and just struggled in understanding the victory of, of Christ on the cross for them just reminded them of that. I said, the the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in that moment, that it was so powerful, all of your sin has been dealt with. Everything you've done, everything you've been, everything you are has been dealt with, not only in the past, but in the future, so that when you do find yourself in a place of mistake, when you do find yourself in a place of struggle, in a place of sin, that the Bible tells us that in that moment, all we have to do is come before God and come in a, in a heart filled with hum, humility and grace and repentance, and we can turn to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that in that moment, in his love and his grace and his mercy and his power and his victory over sin, that in that moment, you can, begin to, you can just bow your heart and bow your head. You may not even be in a place that you can physically bow your knees, but the Bible says that in that moment, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all we've ever done. That it's the victory and the power of Jesus Christ over anything that would seek to lay hold of you. When we look in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the, the power and the victory of Jesus Christ, this is jumping into the middle of a prayer that's being prayed over believers, and it's talking about understanding and knowing the power and the Holy Spirit living in us. But then in verse 19, it says this, Ephesians 1, verse 19, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name. And it goes on and begins to talk about just the victory and the power and the life that we have in Jesus Christ. Friend, it's not just a theological thing. It's not just a doctrine. It's not just something we read in Scripture. It's meant to be personal. The power and the freedom of Jesus Christ is meant to be personal in your life. I said this last week on Sunday, but it bears repeating. If, the death of, if, the de- if death was not powerful enough to stop the purposes and the love and the passion of God through Jesus Christ for your life, what sin or failure or difficulty that you face now could possibly be powerful enough for that? Think about it. The de- that death could not stop the power of God being demonstrated towards you through Jesus Christ. What could possibly, what could you possibly face in this life that's powerful enough to stop it? And then lastly, the last thing I would share with you when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only is it a promise, not only is it proof, not only is it powerful, but the last thing I would share with you is that it's personal. It's personal. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is meant to be personal. Look with me again in John chapter John chapter 20, beginning in verse number 30 and 31, 
says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It is personal. It's not meant to just be a story that we pull out and read or reflect on. It's meant to be personal. It says all of this is recorded so that we can each personally experience and believe in the power of Jesus Christ and have life, not just an existence, but we can have life, life and freedom and hope and joy through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it's a reminder that it's for you. It's for your life. It's for your struggle. It's for your story. It's for your life. I believe the resurrection is meant to be personal and that it's a reminder for every single mom here this morning who you're struggling with loss and you're struggling with raising your children alone, that it's a reminder for every single mom here this morning that God sees you, he sees your struggle, and he sees a future beyond where you're at right now. That I believe the resurrection speaks to every father this morning who is separated from his family and who longs to be with them. That it's a reminder that he has victory. There is nothing ever permanent or final until he says it's permanent and final. That it's a reminder for every widow and widower this morning that you're here. When we're here gathering and celebrating the, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for perhaps the first time in your life since you can remember, there's a loved one who will no longer be with you and you've been separated by death. That it's a reminder that nothing can ultimately separate you from those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. And the resurrection reminds you this morning that the separation you may feel and the sting you may feel in this moment is but temporary because because through Jesus Christ, he has demonstrated victory over the death that has temporarily separated you. He has demonstrated death over the thing that would take control of them. And that ultimately you can be reunited with the one that you love. The resurrection is a reminder for every single adult this morning. For every single person this morning as you're struggling with an inward struggle of fear and shame and an inward prison that those even sitting next to you don't know about. That it's a reminder that he is for your freedom. He is for life in you. And that he can, through the power of Jesus Christ, he can bring freedom and hope and joy in a moment as you place your faith in him. There is not a life or a circumstance or a moment that individuals may face in this life that the resurrection of Jesus Christ cannot touch and change and transform. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8, describing the work that Jesus has done for us through his death and his resurrection, that in that moment it describes what Jesus has done. And Ephesians 1, 8 says that God has lavished his love upon us. He has lavished his grace upon you. That it's grace upon grace and love upon love through the power of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that when you feel like no one else is thinking of you, that for all eternity, God has been thinking of you. He has been planning your salvation. He's been planning your freedom. He's been planning what it means for you to experience life the way he's designed it. And that begins by experiencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a very personal way. That it's meant for you. It's meant for you and it's meant for your life. John chapter 20, verse 20, 31 again. It says that by believing, you may have life in his name. His desire is for you to experience his life in you this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we prepare to close.
Friends, the greatest news that we can have is that there is hope outside ourselves. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, and I've talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the life that we have through him, and that it's meant to be personal, that you would look at your life in this moment and in this place, and perhaps you came with family or friends, but you would take a moment and you would assess your heart and you'd recognize, you know, for me, it's been a tradition It's been a story that the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ has never been personal. But you'd say this morning, you want it to be personal. You want it to be personal. You want to know Jesus Christ and the freedom that only he can bring. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, friends, no one's looking around, but just as a step of faith, as a response of faith, an acknowledgement of your need for Jesus Christ this morning,